All right. Hey, so good to have you out this morning. We just want to let you know we're glad you're here. Welcome. We'll let the welcome out to you and just let you know that we are stoked that you're here. Um, I hope you're able to grab a program on the way in, but if you're, if you're curious about our church, what the life of CTK Ferndale is, is like, what it's about, who we are, um, our program is a great place to start. It has all the, the, the vision, the mission that we, we're on as a church in there. also tells a little bit about who we are uh, and, and what we have going on around here. Um, I want to let you know really quick before we jump into this morning's message about a couple things. Uh, first off, uh, if you haven't heard already, our, uh, the other pastor on staff, Eric Young, this last week pulled his other Achilles heel. And uh, yeah, two years ago, he pulled one as well, and this, this week was the other Achilles heel. And so he's actually going to be out of it for a while, um, not able to drive for at least three to six months. And so, uh, yeah, it's bad. But if you would like to help out, I just want to let you know their family would love to have help in any way that you can, whether that's providing them a meal or uh, just shooting them a, a message, giving him some encouragement. But if you'd like to help out in any way, let me know, and I will, I will let you know how you can specifically do that. But just be praying for him. Man, we're praying for a miracle. We're praying for a speedy, quick recovery for that. And, uh, and so love it if you could help out with that. Easter is six weeks away and uh, coming up quick. And uh, Easter every year in, in our church, we did, Easter is about a few different things. First and foremost, Easter is always this incredible opportunity that we have as a church to tell the story, to, tell, to, sh- to just celebrate the gospel and everything that God has done in our lives and everything that he is. He's alive. Um, we celebrate that. But Easter is also a great opportunity for us as a church to engage our community, to engage the unchurched in our community, and also to engage um, people that are, um, have become de-churched. Maybe they've, they've just stopped going to church for whatever reason. And as you and I both know, Easter is kind of like the Sunday of the year that, that whether you are, have a church background or not, people will go, okay, I've got to try to get out to, to, to Easter Sunday. And so this year, what we want to do as a church is really kind of like crank up uh, the level of engagement that we have as a church on Easter. And so we've done Easter a few different ways over the years, but this year we want to do Easter in such a way that we're just kind of out there in our community. Our, our community knows that we're there that we're here, that we want to just be a blessing. And so we're actually, this year, we have the high school booked for our Easter service. We're going to get... Wow, you're excited down there. (laughs) But we have the high school booked. We're going to have one service at 1030 at the high school. And we just thought, okay, you know, the high school in Ferndale is is a big deal. And it's kind of like the central point... Um, in our community, so it'd be a great spot to have it. So we're going to have uh, service at the high school. We got a bunch of stuff planned. You might have noticed out in the commons on the way in that we have a big bin there for Easter eggs. We're going to bring the Easter egg hunt back this year, bigger and better than ever. And so, uh, so but to do it well, to do it awesome, we need everybody's help. And so this is kind of like for our church, this is an all-hands-on-deck event. This isn't just an event that, that to do it well, it's, it's a few people. No, it's kind of like an all-hands-on-deck event, because right after that we have Go Sunday, and so really it's two weekends of all-hands-on-deck event. And so we need your help. So a couple things that you can help out with. One, uh, we have somebody that generously uh, gave a matching gift of $1,000. Um, we had a small amount budgeted for Easter this year, but... Uh, 
someone offered to, to give us a, a matching gift of $1,000. So if any of you are going, okay, I'd like to help out, go a little bit. And this, this is like an above your regular giving. Because if you just shift your regular giving to go, oh, I'm going to put that towards Easter, it actually doesn't help. It makes things a little more complicated and difficult. But if you go, yeah, I would love to help out. I can, I can put some towards this. Um, it will really help us to get the word out uh, in our community a lot better and really help us just to kind of knock it out of the park with Easter. So that's one way you can do that. If you want to do that, grab one of those white envelopes that are in the, the lobby that, that's uh, a giving envelope and just put on there for Easter, okay? And it will go towards that. The other way that you can help out is with uh, bringing Easter eggs and candy. So we want to make sure this year that we are well prepared for whatever comes down the pike with Easter. Uh, last time we did an Easter egg hunt, uh, we had all of Whatcom County show up. And, uh, and this year, we want to be prepared for, for that. And so we're actually shooting to bring in 10,000 eggs. And so if 100 of you bring 100 eggs, guess how many eggs that is? 10,000 eggs. Um, that costs about 10 to 15 bucks to do that. So, so you could help out with that. There's a bin out there in the, like in, in the lobby, and we don't want to see that thing halfway full. We want it to be like overflowing with eggs. Okay? Sound good? So Easter's coming up. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that over the next um, few weeks. One more thing before we jump into this morning's message is uh, this coming Saturday we're having a volunteer appreciation night, and it's our way as a church leadership team just to let you know that we love you, we're so thankful for you, we appreciate you, and so if you have volunteered in any capacity in our church, whether that's a weekly deal or maybe it was just one time in the last couple years, we don't care. We just want you to know we love you, so this, this uh, coming Saturday night, we would love to have you out to be a part of that. All right. All right, we're starting a brand new series today called Meant to Be that I'm really excited about. It is going to be a, a sermon series on marriage, singleness, and sex. And if you have kids, <laughs> if you have kids, um, I just want you to know, give you a fair warning this morning that we are going to be, uh, re- yeah. Thanks. Um, we're going to be kind of in PG territory off and on over the next little while, so we have an amazing kids program over there with an amazing group of, of uh, leaders that would love your kids. And so uh, we're going to tackle this topic, though, from a, a little bit of a different angle than is typically approached, because I, I, I've, I've preached this in the past, and I've heard lots of messages on this topic in the past, and typically... How it's preached is you have the sermon that's on marriage and the sermon that's on singleness and the sermon that's on sex. And we're going to actually kind of mingle this together a a little bit more in this series. And we're going to come at this from the angle of, uh, we're going to take one passage of scripture and just kind of hang out on this passage of scripture because this passage of scripture has a lot to say about all three of these different areas. And this, this passage is actually 1 Corinthians 7. It's a passage of scripture that's written by a single dude, not by a married, married guy. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And many scholars believe that Paul was once married because in his day, if you uh, wanted to um, become the, the religious leader that, that, that Paul was, it was pretty well a requirement that you, that you had to be married. 
Well, Paul's no longer married, and we can only speculate why, but, but Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it's this passage that I'm pretty sure that you probably haven't heard a sermon preached out of before, because in this, this passage of Scripture, Paul's going to say a lot of really strange, interesting things that we're going to get into, and so this morning we're going to actually spend a, a lot of our time, or all of our time, in the first two verses of this chapter, and then we're going to unpack what they mean for the rest of this morning and uh, then the rest of this chapter throughout this, this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, hang on to your hats and glasses, because here we go. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Like I said, this chapter is going to say some really strange, interesting things. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And I know at this point, you might be thinking, I knew I should have stayed in bed this morning. I knew I should have gone for that hike. <laughs> Um, we're not even five minutes in, and already this is the most awkward I've ever been in church in my entire life. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to lean into the awkwardness and embrace it because it's just getting started. For those of you that are going, oh crap, I knew I should never come to this church in the first place. Man, this is what church is all about. Here's this guy. It's anti-sex. They can't have it, and so they want to make sure no one else is having it. Hold on, because you're going to be surprised at what scripture is going to say here and what God has to say about this incredible gift called sex. What Paul is trying to say here when he says it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, we're going to, we're going to unpack this, but you might be going, what, what the heck is he saying here? Man, Paul, so Paul is single and he's saying this, is he just kind of jealous because he's not getting any and he, he wants to make sure that nobody else is getting any? What, what's going on here in this passage? And in order to understand what this passage or any passage in Scripture is all about, we need to have some context. Nobody here is going to jump into, you're going to buy tickets to the movies at Regal Cinema, and then you're going to show up an hour late, because if you show up an hour late to the movies, you're not going to have a clue what's going on in the story, right? You, you get there to the movie... First thing, so that you, you, you have the, the, the whole story. You know what's going on. Because if you don't, you, just, you don't have the context. And often in Scripture, it's the same thing. It, we, we jump into the middle of a, a verse in the Bible and we pull that Bible out. Like if you were to take verse 1 of this, this passage of Scripture and just yank that out of Scripture, it's going to lead you to a lot of false teaching. And we do that a lot of times with, with the Bible. We don't have the, the whole context. And, and with this passage here, it's so important that we, need, we, we get the context, otherwise we're left scratching our heads going, what is Paul talking about here? Sex is not good. Is, is Paul from a different planet? Like, what, what's he getting at here in this passage? And so this morning, we're going to take some time to set up this series, and a big part of setting up this series will be giving you some context, because context matters. Paul is a, he's a church planter. What that means, it means he loves to go into cities where there isn't a church and start a brand new church. And one of the cities that he plants a church in is a city called Corinth. 
Now, I don't know what your picture of Christianity is. Maybe when you think of Christianity, you think of a, a Norman Rock, Rockwell painting. You know, there's mom and dad and a couple of the kids, heads bowed over the table as they're getting ready to chow into some meatloaf and potatoes. Maybe that's your picture. Maybe your picture of Christianity is a nice little steepled church in the, the middle of the country and after everybody's done meeting, they all get together and eat fried chicken. Maybe that's your picture. I don't know what your picture of church is, but, but what is happening in Corinth is pretty well the opposite, the, the total opposite of that picture. It's, it's wild, it's dysfunctional, it's out of control. The church of Corinth is divided, and here's why. It's because the city of Corinth that the church was planted in was a crazy city. It's pretty well the city, if you were to take Seattle and Las Vegas and make it into one city, you, you have Corinth in, in more ways than one. Uh, Corinth is a port city with lots of trade, lots of tourism. Um, it's around 800,000 people. There's industry everywhere. Um, it's hustle, it's bustle. Entrepreneurs, traders, families all flocking to the city. The population steadily growing. There's lots of opportunity for people to make a lot of money, and a lot of people are doing that. There's a lot of wealth in the city. Um, however, as good as this sounds, the city is messed up. They have some significant issues. Um, for starters, this is a city that, that values and is all about prestige, social status, just climbing the ladder. They chase status. They chase power. They worship all kinds of different deities. Their favorite deity to, to, to worship was Apollos, the sun god. And all of this led to the people of Corinth living this Vegas-like lifestyle. Drunkenness and greed are everywhere, and they're experimenting with every kind of sexual activity under the sun. Prostitution is rampant. There's cohabitation. Guys are hooking up with guys, and girls are hooking up with girls. And what I love about the God we serve, that so many Christians miss all the time is that, that God sees the city of Corinth and he sees all the brokenness, he sees all the dysfunction and rather than sit off in the distance and write angry Facebook posts about this city, what he does is he looks down he goes, hey, we are going to go plant a church in that city and bring the gospel to that city, bring, bring the kingdom to that city. This is the God we serve. His heart breaks for the lost. And so what does he do? He raises up a leader, Paul, who also has a heart that breaks for the lost. He establishes a church, a church that will bring his kingdom, his life, his joy, his healing, his freedom to this city. And it's the same reason, actually, why we're here in Ferndale. We're here in Ferndale to bring the life, the kingdom, the joy, the freedom that only Jesus can offer and bring. And, and that's why we're here. Paul starts his church in Corinth. He gets it established, and then he leaves, because Paul's planting churches all the time. He leaves, and he goes and plants another church. And when he does, all hell breaks loose in this baby church in Corinth. You see, the people who made up this church were the same people who made up the city of Corinth. And you and I both know that when we come to Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus... It's not like the magic button is hit on our lives and everything just becomes rosy. No, we're still, we've got a lot of stuff, a lot of issues that we, we, we're, we're working through. We're, we're works in progress. 
God is, is working on us. And this is no less true for this, this church in Corinth. The issues that the city was dealing with were also present in the church. The drunkenness was so bad in the church that the people in the church of Corinth were getting drunk at communion time. I mean, so when we do communion here in our church, we don't, act, we don't serve wine. There's a lot of churches that do serve wine. We don't, we don't serve wine. But if we did, it would be like somebody coming up to the front, they take their little cup, and then they go hop in the back of the line. And I'm just saying, if, if that's communion, you've got, if, if, if that's happening, there's, that, there's some trouble, there's some problems there, right? That's a bad sign. On top of this, sexual immorality is rampant. The men of the church are hooking up with prostitutes. Um, the sexual sin is so bad that at one point in the letter, Paul says, um, hey, reports are getting back to me that you guys are doing stuff that not even the world can t- uh, tolerates. Apparently, there was a, a, a guy that was sleeping with his mom. I mean, that's a whole different level of just depravity. And the church of Corinth is not only highly dysfunctional, but it's divided and has lots of crazy stuff going on. And like I said, it is the polar opposite of the Norman Rockwell painting picture of church life. And so in the first six chapters of this book, Paul just, he just starts addressing one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. He just goes right, goes right into it. And I love the way that he addresses this. You know, I, I, he's, he's definitely hard and he's straightforward, but he's gentle at the same time. And one of the biggest issues that he addresses is all the sexual sin that's, that's taking place in this church. And what he wants the church of Corinth to see is that sex is actually meant to be a beautiful gift from God. But they're seeing it as nothing more than this pleasure to just be consumed, 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 consumed. And as they consume it in all the wrong ways, they're, they're coming up with, with all kinds of reasons to justify their, their behavior. And in chapter 6, so if we just back up a little bit from chapter 7, Paul, he addresses some of the reasons that they have to justify it. Um, he writes this, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say. So they're saying, I, I, I have the right to do whatever I want. To which Paul responds, but not everything is beneficial. And, and then they come back again, well, I have the right to do anything. And, and Paul counters by saying, well, but I will not master, be mastered by anything. And basically, when it, when it came to sex, the mindset of the day was really the same as the mindset that a lot of people today have. And, and they think, I have the right to do whatever I want. If there's two consenting adults who want to have sex, what's wrong with that? It's not illegal or anything. Who are you to judge um, what I do with, with my life? To which Paul says, well, just because it's legal, just because it's right, just because the government comes along and says, hey, that, that's okay, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. And, and anticipating their counter-argument, he goes on to say, not only does it mean it's not necessarily beneficial, it also it's not good to be mastered by anything, um, because especially by something that, that can cause so much damage. You see, when it came to sex, much like many people today, the, the people of Corinth were like, hey, we have needs, we have, we have desires, and we're just following through with, with our sexual drive. It's only natural, which when you think of it, is really kind of in line with, with evolutionary type, no God thinking that says, hey, we're just... We're, we're, we're primates. We have these, these built-in desires and urges, and 
were like highly evolved, evolved animals with needs. And it's this thinking that says, hey, if it feels good, just do it. Which, by the way, is a really kind of bad way to live your life. It's a bad model to live by. Um, this last week, I was at Sonic, and it took about half an hour for my stuff to come. And I'm like, don't mess with my Junior Cheeseburger Deluxe and Tater Tots. There was a lot of things that I was thinking would be nice to do in that moment, like go screeching out of the driveway and just not even pay or anything, none of which would have been really good for me to do. Bad model to live by is if it just feels good, do it. Bad model. Just because you feel like letting your, your sex drive spin out of control doesn't mean that you should. Paul then actually goes on to give some really good reasons why. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. God comes along to the church of Corinth, and he, he basically says when two people have sex, it's not animalistic, it's holy, actually. It's, it's two bodies two souls becoming one. Sex is holy. Sex is good. Sex is sacred. Sex is beautiful. Sex is one of, if not the, finest pleasures in all of God's good creation. But also know this, sex is powerful. And when this holy, powerful, soul-connecting act is engaged outside of the God-given boundaries God's placed it in, it can and will cause great damage. And I don't need to pull up some stats this morning to, to help you to know this. You already know. Chances are that, that you personally have experienced this at some point in your life. Um, if not you personally, then you know of somebody else that, is, that has experienced the damage and destruction of this. Um, maybe it was an affair that that betrayed a commitment made to a spouse, um, a teenager or young adult enslaved in, in an addiction to porn and all the shame and stuff that comes with that. Maybe it was a one-night stand that, that turned into a young mom having to raise a child all on her own, or worse, an abortion that's going to leave someone just impacted for life. Now, you have to understand something this morning. This is not, this is not a place of shame and condemnation and finger wagging, that's not, that's not what this is about. That's not what God is about here. But what God is doing in Scripture through Paul is he's coming along like a good heavenly father who wants the very best for his kids. And he's saying, hey, sex is like fire. Fire is good. It has purpose. It's also beautiful. It's also captivating. But if you don't keep that fire contained to a fireplace, it'll burn the house down. Sex is good and powerful, and outside of its God-given God boundaries, it's, it's dangerous. And Paul goes on to say, flee from sexual immorality. Don't just walk away, he says. He says, flee. Get the heck out of there. All their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The thing that makes sexual sin so different from all other sins, Paul says, is that all other sins happen kind of outside the body. 
So if I'm at Winco this week and I'm walking through the bulk bin section and I see some chocolate-covered almonds, me ripping off a handful of those and scarfing them all back, as you can tell, I've thought about that before. <laughs> That's kind of outside my body, right? It's outside. Sex is much more intimate. You're, you're sitting against your own body. It's affecting you in a bad way. It brings shame. It brings guilt. You become so susceptible to that voice that just says you're a screw-up. You failed. You're worthless. It's, it's inside. And not only is it affecting you in a bad way, it's affecting your relationship with God in, in a bad way. Why? Well, well, Paul goes on to explain. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body, the Bible says, is not yours. Well, yes, it is, Rich. My body is mine. No, who made your body? God made it. God made it. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus... Who lives inside of you? God does. And, and when you engage in, in sexual sin, it affects your relationship with, with Jesus. And when Becky and I were dating, um, we did not honor God. We did not honor God in our relationship. And, and, and I'll probably share more of our story as the series progresses. But for now, let's just say that we were professionals at breaking through all the boundaries and justifying everything that we did. We had so many moments where we went way too far. Was it fun in the moment? Yes, absolutely. Did it do damage? Yes, a ton. But most significantly, it was impossible to have any kind of intimacy, any kind of closeness with Jesus. And you know exactly what it's like if you've ever been there before. What happens is your, 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 your church life goes down the tubes, your devotional life just dries up, um, your pursuit of Jesus becomes non-existent, it just goes away, and rather than be satisfied in Jesus, knowing his life, his joy, his peace, everything that he came to bring, rather than that, it's shame, it's fear, it's emptiness, and a pile of other stuff. It affects your relationship with yourself, and it affects your relationship with God. Back to the church in Corinth, it, it looks less like a group of believers on a mission, and it looks more like a college frat house. It's girls and guys gone absolutely wild. And as you can understand, after some context, you understand a little bit better why Paul comes along and he says, hey, it's, it's not good, or it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual morality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. In light of all that craziness that Paul's seeing, he says, hey, it's good for men not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's better for you to, to refrain altogether than to indulge in behavior that in the end is going to destroy you. Paul says to refrain. This, this is actually good, he says. And what scripture is saying here is that no sex is actually better than the wrong kind of sex. But then Paul goes on to say, if you're going to, if you're going to have sex, here's how. Here's, here's the boundary. Here's the confi confi confines that, that God created um, to contain this beautiful yet powerful fire. Here, here's the boundaries. It's a man with his own wife and a woman with her own husband. And this is a 
This is a beautiful passage of Scripture that completely simplifies what sexual morality is and what sexual morality isn't. It's a man having sex with his wife and a wife having sex with their own husband. Anything outside of this is sexual immorality. Well, we're married in our hearts. No, that's not what this means. Well, 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 Rich, we're married in God's eyes. No, that's not what this means either. It's a husband and a wife. That is the, the place that God created. You and your boyfriend or girlfriend, destructive. You and, and the person that you see on the screen, destructive. You and somebody else's spouse, destructive. To which modern ears hear that, what, what, what do they think? They're like, okay, here goes God. God's at it again. God's just trying to steal my fun. He's just trying to take away all my, my pleasure and all my joy. That's just, that's just typical. That's, that's who God is. But this is not the case because God is not like that. He doesn't tell us to stay away from something so that he can wreck our little party. That's not God. He, he, he sets up the boundaries why? Because he loves us, and he wants to protect us. You see, sex is like a raging inferno, and contained in the bonds of marriage, it's so life-giving. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy is the lie from the pit of hell that sex inside of marriage is dull, boring, predictable, just all downhill. That's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And if that's your case in your marriage, stick around in this series because we're going to discover how to get some of the fire back, okay? But it's meant to be a lie. I'm having a hard time reading your response this morning, but that's okay. <laughs> Sex is meant to be a beautiful gift from God. And not just for making babies. It's not just for making babies. It's meant to be for sheer pleasure and joy. That's what it's for. And, and you, you students in the room, you're, you're, you're more prone to the lie than anybody else because you see it on all your, your shows that you watch on Netflix. You hear your culture that says, oh, if you want to have sex, that's awesome. You have it and before you're married. You go crazy. You have all kinds of fun because once you get married, it's downhill. I'm here to testify that's a lie. It's, it's an absolute lie. It's a lie. Now, is there brokenness? Does the enemy come along and wreak havoc in marriages? Yes, absolutely. But the lie that marriage has to be this, this, this place where it's just non-existent, it's just that. It's a lie. It's meant to be a beautiful gift from God, meant to be, for, yes, it's for making babies, but also for sheer pleasure enjoy, but only within the boundary of marriage. The message paraphrase, the, the message paraphrase of the Bible, it, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2. It says, sexual drives are strong. And that's true if you're here in the room and you're married or you're single, most likely true for everybody in the room that you go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can testify that. It's strong. Then he goes on to say, but marriage is, is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. And that's what it's all about right there. It's strong, it's powerful, but marriage is strong enough to contain it. And over the next several weeks, 
Um, we're going to address this in more, more depth. And I fully understand this morning that this sermon has probably raised a lot more questions than it's answered, answered them. But we're going to be addressing these in the next several weeks. And maybe you're here going, okay, that means I'm going to check out for the next several weeks. Rich, I'll see you at Easter. But I encourage you to come back and, and as we dive in. But as we wrap up this morning, I want to address those in the room that are here hearing this sermon. And you're going, man, when you talk about messing up with sexual sin, ask me. I've messed up. And you're going, I don't know what that looks like for me. And just so you know, when it comes to messing up in this area, it's pretty safe to say that probably most of us in this room, if not all of us, have messed up. Jesus comes along, and he actually changes the whole, he changes everything. He comes along and says, hey, if you look at a woman lustfully, it's the same thing as if you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And it's pretty safe to say that most of us in this room, if not all of us, have messed up in this area. We've, we've failed. To, to which Jesus comes along, and, and, and I want you to hear this so clearly. He is not pointing a condemning finger at you. He is not here this morning saying, hey, it's all over for you. He is not here this morning saying that, that it's just, it's just you, you've screwed up so bad. He's not, he, he's not here to do any of that stuff. If you hear condemnation this morning, if you hear accusation that's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of the enemy. The Bible calls him the accuser. He lies to you. And the, the crazy thing about sexual sin is that he lies to you on the front end, and he also lies to you on the back end. On the front end, the lie looks like this. Hey, just go for it. This is your right. It's a drive that God has put inside of you. It's so good. Man, the motor is humming. Just keep it going. And, and he lies. And on the back end, he comes along with a whole different set of lies. He says, hey, what in the world? You just messed up your life forever. You have completely failed. You just destroyed everything. You might, as well just, you might as well just go and hide out in a corner. It's a lie. And what your heavenly Father wants you to see and hear this morning is this invitation to come to him and when you come to him, regardless of what you've done in the past, when you come to him and you say, God, this is what I've done. God, I've messed up. Yeah, I failed. But God, I come to you. I come to you in faith and trust, asking you to forgive me. You know what he does in that moment? He forgives you. And the Bible says that he takes that sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. That's our God. And this morning, he, he, his posture towards you this morning is, is the same as it always has been. He's that prodigal son's dad who's just looking on the horizon for his son to come back. He's looking, he's waiting for you to respond to this invitation to experience his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness. All that's required is for you to say, yeah, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm coming back to you. And when you do, it's healing, it's freedom, it's joy, it's his forgiveness. You can have that this morning. Well, Rich, you have no idea how much I've messed up in the past. You have no idea. It doesn't matter. Do you think forgiveness is not possible with the God that we serve? All things 
are possible with him. All things. It doesn't matter what you've done. He, he's a God of complete forgiveness. And as we wrap up, I'd love to pray with us and for us. Would you just bow your heads for a few minutes? Heavenly Father, God, in this moment, God, you see what each person here is struggling. God, we just kind of went from like first gear to fifth gear this morning in this, this topic. And God, I, I, I pray, Lord, for the person here, God, who's just struggling, and maybe they're just under a weight right now because of something that, that happened in the past, and, and God, they don't, they, they, don't, they don't see hope. They don't even see the chance of forgiveness. God, I pray this morning that, God, you would, your voice, God, would be heard through the accusations. Your voice would be heard through the guilt. Your voice would be heard mm. through the shame. Your voice that says, hey, come to me. I love you. I'll forgive you. Father, let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. Father, I, I ask, God, that the Lord, in this moment, Jesus, you would just be, God, be bringing healing. Be bringing healing. Be bringing healing. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise hands this morning. All I'm going to ask, though, if, if, if God is speaking to you right now, and if there's something that, that has happened in your life that you just messed up, but God is saying, hey, I want to offer you forgiveness. I, all I want you to do in your heart right now, not out loud, but just in your heart, I want you to just say, hey, God, I want you to forgive me. God, yes, I've messed up. I've messed up bad. God, would you forgive me? As you do that, he's here to offer you forgiveness and wholeness and freedom in life. And so, Father, would you come now in this moment? And Jesus, would you come like only you can as the healer, God, our healer? Would you come and restore? God, where, where God, men and women and students have been just seeing their future through the this lens of it'll never be the same because of how I messed up. God, would you come this morning and restore hope? Would you do that this morning? Would you do that this morning, I pray? And Father, I just, God, I, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for this incredible gift that you have given us, God, of sexual intimacy. And Jesus, I want to pray, Lord, that, that Father, your church... Um, God, marriages in this church. God, specifically pray for the marriages, God, in this room. And God, you, don't, you know where everyone is at. God, I, God in some marriages, it's, just, it's very broken right now. God, maybe this morning, it's just, God, you want it to be a wake-up call that, that hey, there's, there's something better. This, this, is, this is meant to be a beautiful part of marriage. And God, you're, you're even speaking to couples about how their, their marriage, God, is just divided and and you want it to be a beautiful thing, God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to show couples how they can take some steps in the right direction. God, over the course of this series, I pray, God, that you would bring healing and life to so many marriages, God, in this church. God, I pray for, for those in this room that aren't married. God, for the singles in this room. God, I pray, Jesus, that, that God, as they also have this, this drive, this desire, God, I pray that, that they would 
with your help, with your strength. God, be like the, the, the Apostle Paul talks about in Scripture here. That God, they would, they would, they would learn how to, how to contain this, this fire, how to honor you with their bodies, how to, how to respect you, respect one another. God, so that your name, your name could be glorified and lifted high. Father, thank you so much, God, for this time that we've had together this morning. And I thank you, God, for what you are doing in our hearts and our lives. God, may you be honored in us individually. God, you may be honored in us, in the, the, the couples, the marriages of this church. And may you be honored in our church. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.